Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. My name is Tim Barton, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Vine. And as you know, um, we've been in a series in Isaiah. Most of you know that. If you're just coming today, you'll, you'll learn that. Um, And I was thinking, I was reminded actually this morning uh, when I saw a friend of mine that of a a, a situation when I was talking to him about two months ago and I was, we we had been involved in this other conversation with a group of people and then we were just kind of sitting alone for a, or or in a smaller group for a second and, and I said, by the way, what, like I've known you for a long time, what do you do for a living? And he looked at me and he goes, well, um, I'm, I'm an actuary. I said, I've heard the word. <laughs> tell me a little bit about that. And he began to tell me, and about 35 seconds into it, I kind of glossed over. At which point he called me out on that. He's like, sir, are you even paying attention? And I, uh, and I was like, well, I'm trying really hard. But what you're telling me is complicated and is not something I really know much about. Right? And it hit me this morning when I was thinking about that story that When we come to a passage of scripture today, like Isaiah 65 verses 1 through 16, that's kind of how some of you might feel. You might think, well, this is complicated. It seems all over the place. I don't know how it all works. Um, And so you might be tempted to gloss over um, as we look at this. So I want you to do something with me for a minute. I want you just to pause for a minute. And quietly, I want, as silently to to, to the Lord, um, where you are, I want you to ask him to teach you what he would have you to learn from this passage of scripture today. Will you do that? So Lord, speak to us through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the context of this passage we're getting ready to read, um, just to remind you of Isaiah uh, the, the people of Israel the, um, had seen the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, um, had been captured by the Assyrians. The people of the southern kingdom, who Isaiah is writing to, had seen that and thought, whew, we dodged a bullet, we got by. But Isaiah tells them in chapters, um, the Lord tells them through Isaiah in chapters 1 through 39, that no, actually, um, because you're continuing in this rebellion, um, you are going to face um, the Babylonians coming and taking you into captivity. And then after being in captivity, um, you know, we see what's going on in verses 40 through 66. Isaiah says, after you've been in captivity for a while, here's going to be your response to the Lord. um, And there is still some hope um, in all of this for eternity, forever and ever. And so I say all that, um, we come to the passage, again, it's complicated. Um, I'm gonna tell you some other ways to help understand it in a minute, but just go there with me. Let's read it in its entirety, verses one through 16, and then we'll talk about it. So we're in Isaiah 65, um, one through 16. This is God's word. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. A people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, 
who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh and broth tainted meat, and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their lap both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord. Because they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills, I will measure into their lap payment for their former deeds. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it, so I will do for my servant's sake, and not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it, and my servant shall dwell there. Sharon shall become a a pasture for flocks, and the valley of Acre a place for the herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you to the sword, and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. But you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servants shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart and shall well for the breaking of spirit. You shall leave your name to my chosen for a curse, and the Lord God will put you to death. But his servants he will call by another name, so that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. I told you. (laughs) Pretty complicated passage, right? There's a lot of back and forth going on here. Now, when we come to a passage of Scripture, just just to kind of make sure we're all on the same page, one of the principles of understanding Scripture is that Scripture interprets Scripture. Right? And so the first place we go to know what this is talking about is not to commentators on the outside or to what other people say or even to um, what, you know, what we're telling you at all says. The first place we go is to Scripture. And so that's true throughout Scripture. And then another principle kind of going a little further than that is that when we see something in the New Testament that talks about something in the Old Testament... The New Testament is teaching us, maybe not, it's teaching us what was going on directly, but also the fuller picture of what was happening in the Old Testament. Does that make sense so far? Here's the great thing about this passage. As complicated as it is, Romans chapter 10, we see the Holy Spirit teaching us through the Apostle Paul um, what it, what, what's going on here. And we see there that there's actually two groups of people in this passage. Romans chapter 10, verse 20 through 21 says... Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. 
that we come to that, and that's actually indicating, Paul says, two different people. One is those who belong to him. In the context, he's saying, not, now, not only does Israel belong, do, do some people from Israel belong to me, so do the Gentiles, Paul is saying. If you, I would encourage you this afternoon, if you're interested, just go read Romans 9 through 11. Uh, but Paul is saying that's to the Gentiles, that's to people today who belong to him. That's one group in this passage. And the other group is those who persistently rebel against him. And that is, yes, Israel, but anyone today who persistently rebel against him. And so we're going to look at those two groups in this passage. That's how we're going to break it down. But as we do, I want to remind you, and this is the kind of the truth we'll keep coming back to, that he, God, remains gracious and merciful to those who belong to him through faith. All right, first group. Those who persist in rebellion. Go back to verses two through three with me. It's where he says, I spread out my hand all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own desires. A people who provoke me to my face continually. So again, the passage is referring to the people of Israel in the immediate context. God has continually held out his hand to them. He's welcomed them. He's called them as a people. He's given them all the benefits and blessings of being his people. They've been told how to follow God. They've been cared for over and over again. They've been called back to God again and again. But through Isaiah, God's telling them, even after your time in exile, even after the time that is meant to be a discipline to you and turn you back to me, you're still going to continue in the ways you've operated in all your history. You follow your own way and you provoke me continually. And so that was ultimately God's contention. You follow your own way, you provoke me continually. Not only did they disobey, but their specific disobedience was, was directly as if to say, oh, God, that's what you want from me? Well, watch this. I was reminded as I was reading this about um, my, my oldest son, and if he was here, I normally don't tell you which son I'm talking about, but this one I just needle him with a little bit. Um, he's actually a pretty compliant child. But, um, but when he was two years old, not even quite two years old, um, I was at home with him, and it was just me and him. He was in a diaper or a pull-up running around. And, um, and I just remember vividly because he had a pull-up on and he had my big Braves hat turned around backwards, just kind of running around. And we're just playing and I'm, I'm kind of reading. And he walks up to the TV and he starts to go like this to turn the TV on. And I said, son, don't turn the TV on. And pulled his hand back a little bit. He looked at me and he goes, I said, son, don't turn the TV on. And he kind of pulled back a little bit. And then he went back up and he turned the TV on. We'll stop the story there. Um, <laughs> Israel just kept, it's like they couldn't, it, it, they couldn't help themselves. They just kept going back to it again and again. There was, they were persistent in their rebellion. And we see in verses three through, um, through, through uh, sorry, portions all the way three through, through 11. So we'll just do that. You'll see it as I put them up here. <laughs> um, here's how they did this in their history. 
Okay, verse three. It says he sacrificed. They are they sacrificed in the gardens. That is, they wanted to do their wanted to do it their own way rather than how God had shown them um, to do it within the temple system. They burnt incense upon bricks. Verse three. Again, they didn't use the altar of the Lord. Um, they they made up their own ways of doing things. It says they consulted the dead in verse four. Um, this was like Saul with the witch of Endor. If you remember that King Saul went to the witch of Endor. They ate pig's flesh and tainted meat and broth, verse four. They disobeyed God's laws concerning meat and food. They operated in pride and hypocrisy, verse five. Um, they, they thought themselves better than each other and those around them um, you know, because they thought they could make themselves morally superior to, to each other but def- and then also to the nations around them. God said their actions in this were so bad that it was like a smoke in his nostrils. My family's going camping later this week, and I remember when we were camping uh, as our kids were young. Before that, I always just camped by myself. We went camping as a family when the kids were young, and it was cold. If you don't know, Carrie Ann, my wife, grew up in the tropics, so she's not a big fan of cold. Um, Everybody was hungry, and all we had at that moment were things that needed to be cooked, like eggs and bacon and cinnamon rolls. It's a great breakfast once it's done, but when everybody gets up and are cold and hungry, you want a fire, right? Well, I made two mistakes. One, I bought the camp, the wood from the from the, the place that they, you know, at the campsite, which is always unseasoned wood and never very good, rarely, right? I don't make that mistake anymore. Um, but also it had rained on it the night before and the tarp had blown off. So we had both things working against us. I try to start a fire. What happens? It just smokes. Useless smoke. There's no warmth to heat the food. More importantly, there's no warmth to keep my wife warm. Um, it didn't smell good. It was just useless smoke. Well, that's what God is saying here. These, these efforts you're trying to do to make yourself look better than everyone else, be morally superior to everyone else, it's worthless smoke in my nostrils. We see a few more ways they were continuing in rebellion in verse 11. They forsake and forget God. This was an idolatry that, that cast off the one living and true God to embrace other gods in their ways of worship. Why do I say that? Well, the names here that he uses, fortune and destiny, it may not use those phrases in in, uh, your translation, but in the ESV it says fortune and destiny. They're the names actually of two false gods that they were worshiping. And so these two false gods, it was showing us that they were sparing no expense. They were setting the table for them. They were offering um, drink of mixed wine. They were, they were laying things out for them. And then verse 12 says, when I called, you didn't answer. You did not listen. You did what was evil in my eyes. You chose what I did not delight in. Now go back to verse six to seven. He says, all these iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers, they combine to a consistent and persistent rebellion. You continue to fail to return to me. So I am rejecting you because of your unwillingness to repent and turn. That applies to the people of Israel. It also applies to the Gentiles. It applies to us today. See, whether you grow up inside or outside of the church, 
when we persist in our rebellion against God, when, when we fail to live the lives of repentance, saying, Lord, show me my sin that I may continue to be sanctified, continue to be changed, continue to grow and trust in your grace through Jesus more and more. When we fail to do that, we're persisting in rebellion against him. Now, I do want to make something very crystal clear before I keep going. This does not mean that God rejects his people, followers of Jesus, who sin. If that was true, I wouldn't be standing here and none of you would be here. What it does mean, it's what we caution in communion regularly. What it does mean is that our lives need to be continually before him saying, Lord, change me. Lord, teach me. Lord, show me my sin. Lord, show me where I'm not trusting in you and you alone and keep changing that. At the Lord's table, we, we, you know, we tell you if you're not a follower of Jesus, don't come. But also if you're a follower of Jesus who persists, who, who have, God has shown you something clearly in your life and you're saying, yeah, but I kind of like that. And I don't want to let that go right now. And he says, you know, that's why we say don't come to the table because you're coming in an unworthy way. The way to come is through Jesus and what he's done. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're acknowledging you're not and you're asking him to keep changing you. But what this is is an indication that if you continue in persistent rebellion against God throughout your life, then it likely means you're not actually a follower of Jesus. If you refuse to submit to him and his work throughout your life, that's where he warns that that's, that rejection comes. We see the results in verses 12 through 16. Verse 12, you will be destined for the sword. It's a hard verse for our way of thinking about God, um, but it's clear here. All who persist in rebellion will be rejected unto death in this life and eternal death and separation from God. And then he, go, he does this contrast in verses 13 through 16 um, where he talks about my servants will receive this, those who persist in rebellion will receive this. Right now I'm just going to talk about the sections that, of those who persist in rebellion. We'll come back um, to these verses in a few minutes um, for those who, who belong to him. So you persist in rebellion, you will be hungry, verse 13. You will be thirsty, verse 13. Those who set their hearts upon the world and place their happiness in the things that you can accumulate, the things that God has given us to enjoy, but if we're saying those are the things that make me happy, if those are the things that I have to have to be satisfied in this life, I will never actually be satisfied. Not here and not in eternity. He says, verse 13, those who persist in rebellion until the end will be put to shame. That is, they will be made ashamed of the vain confidence that they have in themselves and their own righteousness. Why? Why will we be put to shame then? Because our own righteousness, our own confidence, the New Testament tells us, is but filthy rags before God. 
You will cry out for pain of heart, verse 14 says. Um, when, when all these expectations come up lacking, there's going to be confusion. All these things you're, satisf- you're, you're finding, trying to find your satisfaction in, when they don't feel it, there is going to be confusion, there's going to be frustration, and there's a cry out for sorrow of heart in those things. Now, we may, you may experience some of that here. Most of the time with guys, it happens around the age of 50, when all of a sudden you're like, what in the world is this all there is? He says, you will wail for the breaking of spirit, verse 14. There's the wailing of mourning and heaviness. And at times that's here on this earth. And that's different than grieving looking to Jesus. And he says, but in the end, there will be ceaseless and remediless weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then verse 15, it also says, you will leave your name to Israel as a curse. He's saying that after all the time that God has been faithful to the people of Israel, the people's persistent rebellion has made it so that belonging to Israel no longer has any advantage. Now we know from Romans 9, Paul says they had every advantage, right? And he talks about that. He talks about what it meant. They had every advantage. And yet now in their persistent rebellion, They were not helping their children or any of the people. Instead, they were leading them away from God. Belonging to Israel was no longer a help. Instead, it was pushing them away from God as a curse. That's a lot. It's definitely hard for us to, to take in in some ways. But thankfully, there's a second group in this passage. And that second group, again, are those who truly belong to the Lord, those who belong to him. Who are these people? Let me tell you who they're not. Those who belong to him are not those who are the best at being religious. Those who belong to him are not those who look better on the outside. Those that belong to him are not those from a particular nation. Even the people of Israel were not saved because of that. The people that truly belong to him are those who are looking in faith to the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Looking in faith to him to keep teaching us and growing us. Let's look at that a little bit more. So those who belong to him, Isaiah 65 verse 1. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me to a nation that did not call on my name. Again, I told you a minute ago, um, Paul applies this and says, first first of all, these are people from surrounding nations of Israel. These are people now, as Jesus has come, it's been made more clear in Paul's time. These are the Gentiles. And it goes beyond that, right? It's those who belong to him through Christ. For the people of Israel, that would have been, and and really even the people of Israel at the time of Paul, that would have been a drastic shift. Um, For us today, we don't think a huge deal about that, but it would have been a drastic shift for them. But the the, the passage also shows us that in, in this group of those that belong to him, there'll also be a remnant from Israel. That is, God has not completely abandoned 
those who will, who will not persistently rebel against him, um, there will be some who belong to him through the work of God from Israel. Those who are looking forward to the Messiah, to Jesus to come. We see them in verses, is verses 8 through 10. Um, let me just, just read verse 8 for a minute. It says, this is what the Lord says, as when juice is still found in a cluster of grapes and people say, don't destroy it, there is still blessing in it, so will I do on behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them all. And so what the Lord's doing here in verse, verse 8 through Isaiah is using an illustration of a picture of a vine that's withered and dying. Now you can imagine if you, if you um, own a vineyard and you come to a vine that's withered and dying, what are you going to do? Well, it's taking up space. You're going to dig it up and throw it out and plant a new one, right? But he's saying here that even if there is a cluster of grapes on that vine, that there is some juice left in that vine, then it is a blessing and I'm going to keep it. And what he's saying here is that there are those among Israel who belong to him and he's going to, so he's not going to cast them all out, so to speak. For them he will instead, verse 9, it says, continue the descendants of Jacob. Who are they? It's those who are preserved and through whom Jesus comes. Right? At that time, he's continuing the descendants of Jacob, and it's through them that Jesus comes. And then ultimately, it's the part of the church, they become part of the church by faith in Jesus Christ when he comes. Again, you can, you can read way more about all this in Romans 9 through 11 um, at a later time. We don't have any more time for that this morning. It also says in verse 9 through 10 that he will bless them and care for them, this remnant. They will have the blessing of being the people of God. They will inherit the mountain of God. They will have the land of promise from the west in Sharon to the east at the valley of Achor. Some believe this means that the remnant will fully, again, be, be inherit the land of Israel whether it means that or not, here's what we, we really need to get, is that we firmly believe that it typifies what it means to be in God's grace and favor. So at least it's a picture of God's grace and mercy on those who belong to him. Now, let's go back to the contrast in verses 13 through 16. If you've heard nothing else this morning, um, try to tune back in here. For those that belong to him, the passage says, my servants, here's the things we see. He says, my servants shall eat, verse 13. My servants shall drink, also verse 13. Now, that means, one, one thing that means is those who belong to him will always have our needs met. Now, our definition of needs might need to change. Sometimes we might think we need this job and this amount of income, and God says, no, you actually need this job and this amount of income, and we have to adjust to that and submit to that. I could go on and on, but he does say our needs will be met. But this is also realized even more fully through Jesus, right? Does, those, the, the, does the hunger and thirst sound familiar? In Matthew chapter 5, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes through to me will never hunger and never thirst. 
You see, in Jesus, God's servants will always be satisfied. It doesn't always feel like that here. But the promise is that he will completely satisfy us in the new heavens and the new earth. He says in verse 13, my servants shall rejoice. Why do they rejoice? Remember, this is the contrast to the shame. It says the others will be put to shame. Why do they rejoice? Because they're no longer trusting in their own efforts in those things that cannot do anything for them, that cannot completely satisfy, that cannot help them. Instead, they shall rejoice. Why? Because of faith, trusting in Jesus. My servants shall, with, shall sing with gladness of heart, verse 14. There's nothing, there's nothing that his servants face in this life, those who belong to him, there's nothing, Jen prayed it earlier, that will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And y'all, it's hard to, to, to live that and experience that. And it's where we need to come back to this objective truth of Scripture, remind one another of that, and ask the Lord to teach us that in our hearts as we walk through things. And then ultimately, they shall rejoice in heaven. Why won't we be ultimately be made, to shame, made ashamed? It's the passage I go back to in ministry over and over and over again. It's the Revelation 21 passage. It says, God will be there with his people. He will dwell with them and he will be their God. There will be no more crying, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain for those former things have passed away. And he says, write these things down. They are trustworthy and true. But it also says while we walk in this life in Matthew 11, I think it's verse 29, that he will strengthen the weary and the heavy laden. He will walk with his people. Just this week, well, I'll come back to that in a minute. Let me hit this too. My servants in verse 15 shall be called by another name, it says. We talked about the hope trying to be found in, in Israel and their moral superiority and apply that to us if we're trying to find our hope and how great we can be um, in our own name. Says, no, they're going to be known by another name. It's not by being an American. It's not by being a member of the Vine Community Church. It's not by being a Barton or whatever name you have. No, we're going to be known by another name. It is the name of Jesus. That name is introduced in Acts. They're taught, they, the Christians then at that time are being, are being called the way, but ultimately it says, they were first called the Christ followers. They were first called Christians. They were first called followers of Jesus. And what does that mean? It means if you belong to him through the work of Jesus, you're his child. You belong to him. He's given you this new name. 
And it says in that new name, his people, his servants will honor God with their prayers, with their oaths. They will honor the God of truth. What does Jesus say about himself? John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is sufficient, though. He is sufficient for his people. So there's a clear contrast in what happens with these two groups. What do we do with that? What do we do with that when you go home today, when you go to school and work this week? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to keep it real simple. Turn to him. And that sounds maybe overly simplistic, and you might even wonder how. I just encourage you to say, Lord, if this is true, would you show this to me? Turn to him. If you are a follower of Jesus, <laughs> the reality is it's the same thing, right? Turn to Jesus. But let me expound on that just a little. I want you to ref- challenge you to reflect on these things. These things, this list we just went through. Reflect on these things. Reflect what it means to be this child of God, this new name that you've been given. I'd ask you to take five minutes this afternoon at some point. Maybe some of you before you turn football on or before you go out on that walk. or whatever. Take five minutes. You can take more, but take five minutes. Reflect on those things. And then we need to live lives that are not in rebellion, right? If he's showing us sin, we repent of that. We turn to him. We believe his promises. And then we follow him in obedience. Y'all, we need help with this. Sometimes we have a hard time remembering his promises. We have a hard time remembering that this world is not all there is because we get so caught up in it. This week, I just everything just felt so heavy for me. And I, I didn't tell anybody that. My family was going out of town. And then um, one morning this week, uh, a fellow staff member sent me a song. Right? It's a Matt Redmond song. She said, I know you like old hymns, so I thought this might be an encouragement this week. And it was when we all get to heaven. One day. I didn't know I needed that at that time. But she followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit and she sent it. It was in the line with the truth of God's word. She sent it. And y'all, the Lord used that. And so we need one another. We need to help one another in those ways as the Lord leads It's also okay to say at times, I don't know how to help you. I know you're hurting and I love you and I'm praying for you. And it's okay to say that. But then ultimately we find hope. We find hope in Jesus' fulfillment. Find hope that we have a new name follower of Jesus, child of God. If you trust in him, that's who you are.
as we prepare for the Lord's table. I want to give you just a moment. I'm just going to ask you to reflect on these things you've heard. Um, If there's anything the Lord is showing you right now that you need to turn from, I encourage you to do that for just a moment. Um, Confess that sin to him, ask for his help. And then after a few moments of silence, we'll come to the Lord's table together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your work. And thank you that you have given us a new name, that you have called us children of the living God. And we pray, Lord, that even as we come to your table, you would encourage our hearts that that land of promise that as far as the east is from the west, you've removed our transgressions from us. You have said you are my beloved. Lord, as we come to your table, let us rest in that today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.